Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, Golf Pride, Srixon and their Z-Star Golf Balls, and the Sandiston Resort. Now here is your host, Chris Mascaro. Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me tonight on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and first of all, I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you ate too much. Hope you got to enjoy some time with your family and your friends, got some much-needed rest, got out and maybe played a little golf, you know, during the break. So I hope all of that happened for you. We've got Christmas in the air now, and it's, I tell you what, folks, it's it's by far my favorite time of year, just barely, maybe a little notch above Master's Week for me. I love the Christmas season and, and everything that it represents for all of us. So, um, you know, and when I think about tonight's show, it's it's a little bit of an early Christmas present for me because I've got four outstanding guests that I get to share with you. And first up is going to be one of the uh, all-time great golf course architects, one of my favorite guests here on the show, and that's Bill Bergen. Please, uh, right now, go online to uh, to bergengolf.com and check out his design work and some of the recent projects he's been working on. One of the ones that I'm dying to see is the Macklemore, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. You want to talk about a spectacular layout. Where do you see the 18th hole, folks. You want to talk about a hole that's going to take your breath away. Boy, that's that's certainly one of them. The tagline for the complex is life above the clouds because it's up there on Lookout Mountain. And uh, like I say, when you're when you're on that golf course, from the views that I've seen, you can see for miles and miles. They've got some really breathtaking, like I say, breathtaking views from up there. So go check out all of his projects on BergenGolf.com. We're going to talk about all of those projects and a whole lot more. Bill's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of my favorite women in the game of golf, and that's Gail Graham. Gail is in, folks, more Hall of Fames than you can shake a stick at. That's how great Gail's career has been. She's also a former president of the LPGA Tour. She's a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor now down at Esplanade Country Club in uh, Naples, Florida. I want to talk with Gail about the state of the women's game, which I think is in the best place it's been since maybe the 80s or the early 90s. We'll also look ahead to next year's Olympic Games. We'll get some tips for all of you that are heading down to Florida to play, you know, with some winter golf, whether you're going to be down there for the entire winter, you're just looking for an escape from the cold. We'll get you some tips for how to play well down there. So really looking forward to having Gail back as part of the show. She'll join me about 25 minutes from now. And then following her, speaking of Esplanade Country Club, is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. He'll be back with me and as uh, as you guys all know, he teaches at Esplanade as well during the winter months. He's back down there now. So you want to talk about an opportunity to get some lessons from a dynamic duo. Go to Naples this winter. Book some time with Tom and Gail. Tonight, TP and I, we're going to talk about shot shape, right? For those times when maybe we hit it a little offline, maybe we find ourselves in a in a bit of a pickle and we got some trees or whatnot in front of us and we need to hit a cut or a fade to get around whatever that hazard is. We'll talk about how you can do that very successfully. We'll also talk about how, you know, for me, you know, I'm still in that reverse C sort of finish position. So we're going to talk about how can I become more perpendicular? How can we get, you know, that more upright finish and finish on our left side a little bit more? And then uh, again, for for those that are headed south, 
We're going to talk about putting on Bermuda greens. It's a lot different than bent. So we're going to talk about how you can be successful doing that. So looking forward to having TP back on the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from the wedge guy, Terry Taylor. Terry's created a new line of wedges for Edison Golf. And those wedges aren't designed for tour players. These are wedges designed with us in mind. They're a little more forgiving. He says results, you know, have the, have the shots finishing 31 feet closer to the pin on average, according to Iron Byron data. So we'll talk about why that is, what makes those wedges better, and how we can hit the ball a lot closer with his, uh, with his Edison wedges. So looking forward to having Terry with me about an hour from now. So there you got it, folks. More great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Now, you guys know how much the Lawrence brothers, both Mitch and Matthew, mean to me and how great their golf shows are. Please make make it a point to tell all of your friends and continue to support both of them. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at Golf Trip X, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. Also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they take you around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places that you can go stay and play, plus some of the hidden gem courses you may not be aware of yet. Go online to to stream their podcast at GolfTripX.com. Please also continue to check out Matthew's show. It's called Backspin Golf. Now, he's on hiatus right now, but his shows from this season are available as a podcast on WLXG.com, and that's ESPN Radio. Uh, uh, AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. So if you missed any of his shows throughout the year, you can go online and stream them as a podcast. Again, it's called Backspin Golf, and it's a fantastic listen. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear from Steve Rondonero about what's going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf, and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they've got up there and to book your stay as well. And well, folks, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are a tremendous story. Both feature speed-injected twist face, created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and yes, sir, every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. Basically, every head is made to be tour spicy. Check it out for yourself online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. And please check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. They've got their new holiday collection out right now. Their new sweaters, vests, and outerwear are all absolutely spectacular, folks. They're where luxury textures and deep, rich colors come together with elegant ease. You're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Anel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing it out on the Champions Tour. Check it out for yourself online at bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code ON THE T to save yourself 20% at checkout. 
All right, now back in making his seventh appearance with me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is Bill Bergen. Let me remind you about Bill's background. Played his college golf at Auburn University from 1978 to 81 and was named first team All-SEC every year, and he helped Auburn win the 1981 SEC Championship. His 65 during the 1979 Pan American Tournament still ranks as one of the lowest 18 holes in Auburn golf history. He's played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He's now recognized as one of the top golf course designers in the world, and he started his own design business. It's called Bergen Golf Designs, and he designs and redesigns courses all over the world. He's been involved in over 70 golf course design projects, and like I say at the top, Go online to see for yourself what great work Bill is doing by going to bergengolf.com. And I'm excited he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bill, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, it's my pleasure. Always fun to be on on your show. I appreciate you. So, Bill, I got to start by asking you, have you come down from the high of your Auburn Tigers beating Alabama last Saturday in the Iron Bowl? I'll tell you what, everywhere I've been the last couple of days, it's been pretty easy to have an opening conversation because everybody's pretty excited about it. So yeah, it was, it was really good stuff. And, um, I'll tell you what, I was exhausted. I was sweating. I was doing all kinds of things just watching. <laughs> but you were. Bill, like I said during your intro and at the top of the show, you have done some spectacular work on a lot of different projects that you've just recently finished up, or you're involved with right now, and I'm going to start with the Macklemore, which is outside of Chattanooga. It's number one on my list right now to play. It, it turned out to be an absolutely spectacular golf course from everything I've seen, from the pictures to the to some of the videos, and then what I've read online as well. Let everybody know about that golf course. So the Macklemore Club, we just opened in June, so it's it's a baby, it's brand new, and it was a, an existing course that we renovated extensively. And it sits up on Lookout Mountain, so it sits about um, 21, 2200 feet above sea level, which is really nice because that's a, its own climate. In other words, it, for the south, it's cooler up there, and and it and it's a big, broad, open golf course with amazing views. Um, I've worked on a bunch of mountain courses. In fact, I was at two of them today, which are a little bit different than this. But Macklemore is rugged. It's open. It's spacious. It feels a bit western. And there's rattlesnakes and all kinds of wildlife up there. And, and as you mentioned, our tagline is, is sort of life above or golf above the clouds. And literally, you're out on that golf course and you have these incredible views over a, what's called Macklemore Cove, which was where our name came from. And you're literally standing looking down on birds that are soaring in the area. So it's it's really an incredible landscape. And um, we were really, really fortunate to work there over the last couple of years. And one of the things that was so exciting, uh, we had a problem. And we had a problem in that we didn't have a clubhouse, nor did we have adequate space for a clubhouse and parking and all the things that go with the clubhouse. And so our owners looked at us and said, okay, what, you know, what can we do about this? Is there a possibility of moving the 18th hole? And the old 18th hole sat on, on top of the high plateau. It had nice views in the distance, but it really wasn't on the edge of things. And we looked at this shelf of rock that was um, about 400 feet to the east and 100 foot down below the old 18th hole. And we determined, <laughs> with a little bit of faith, that we could build a new golf hole down there. And we could move the clubhouse out to the to the original 18th hole area, which would give it great mountain views and views down into the cove. And even more importantly, looking down on this new 18th. So we literally built a 430-yard par 4 on the edge of a mountain. 
And when I say on the edge, you stand on the green and you look down and it drops 1,200 feet down into the valley below. And it does not have a guardrail. So you, you have to be sensible, but it is, it's not as dangerous <laughs> as that sounds. But, but you can take a step that you can't recover from. Um, but you're fortunately not playing golf in that spot. That's more of a photographic spot. But it is incredible. Um, literally, the 18th green is perched out on this rock ledge. And um, there's no, I can't describe it properly. There are pictures on our website, obviously, and on our social media sites. But seeing it in person is just unbelievable. The 18th hole, and I'm looking at a picture of it right now, seems to it seems to look out onto forever. It's it's got to be one of the most beautiful finishing holes in the entire game, you know. And I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about because it looks like to me if you if you hit it left for those of us that are right-handed, if you pull it a little left, you might not want to go looking for that golf ball. That one just might want to <laughs> be gone and let that go. That, I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about. I know the picture you're looking at, and you can actually see this rock ledge that almost has a, a reverse C or an overhang where there's a small pine out on the edge. And and it's just this incredible landscape that we were fortunate enough to discover and use for this 18th hole. And um, it's just really exciting. Now, when you stand back on the tee, the left side is all, all drops off. Um, it's wide to the right, and it all slopes back to the fairway. So you actually have plenty of room to play golf. You just can't pull it. And so uh, you can play cautiously to the right all day long, um, but to to attack the hole and, and play it aggressively, you, you come a little bit closer to the to the drop on the left side. So that sort of begs the question for me, and I know that uh, you collaborated with Reese Jones on this uh, on this golf course and the design. But to find that piece of that stretch of land, I mean, what's that? What's that like? I mean, are you building the course backwards? You, you look at that piece of land and go, you know what? This has got to be where we finish this thing and then build it backwards yeah, so, from so, there. So, how did it, how did it come about? You asked. So, so uh, there was a hiking trail through that area. So I knew of the area and actually around the corner from the green is going to be a hotel site for a Hilton Curio hotel. So we knew about this property. Um, but accessing it is not very easy. And I, and it was completely wooded, 100% wooded, uh, briars, all kinds of things. And so I walked, walked basically every inch of it. And my son, Matt, who works for me, we shot topography with a, with a grade rod and a hand level because you couldn't do it otherwise. And we determined that, yes, we can build a hole here. So I came back to my owner, Dwayne Horton. I said, we can do it. And um, when I, when I, after surveying it, I literally walked up into the pro shop and I was bleeding because it was, I think it was warm when I was doing this and I was in shorts and, you know, just a shirt. And I had my legs were bloody and I had, you know, I had made quite the effort to um, discover this hole. And, and the really only tough spot we had, um, the most difficult spot was literally from the tees to the start of the fairway. There was a giant um, rise with a, a, a boulder bigger than your house. And I don't know how big your house is, but it was bigger. And um, it, it was so big that there was a 24 inch full grown tree growing out of the rock. And then right behind that was a ravine, and we had to be able to, to move that rock, and we did blast it in that in that location, and and shape the tees in. That was the the most difficult part. But otherwise, we cut the right side, and we cut a ton of rock out of out of there, and we just pushed the rock to the left, and we pushed it to the edge to form the edge of the fairway. Now, what you're seeing in that picture, that's all natural rock. Um, but as you move to the right, in sort of the curve that goes around. 
the um, approach to the green, that's pushed rock. And so it's a blend. You're seeing both when you look at that picture. So um, it's it's really exciting. But again, you get on the 18th green and you just look out for miles and miles and miles all the way to Pigeon Mountain on the other side through Macklemore Cove, which is farmland and, and wooded area. And it's just gorgeous. And just to take that a, a, another half step further, Bill, I, I got to imagine when you've got people out there playing, that's not one of the the holes where you hole out, you take your ball out of the cup, and you just walk off and go on to the next tee. I got to imagine there there's uh, groups, you know, posing for pictures, selfies, and just a look at what that let what that's like. I got to imagine you get a lot of comments about uh, yeah. kind of getting lost in the scenery for a minute. Give us a little time. It may be the most photographed hole in the southeast. So it it is really uh, an, an eye catcher, and it's just. Again, it, it, you just have this sense of, wow, what a piece of property and how fortunate are we to be able to play golf on it. Let's talk about a couple of the other projects you're working on. You've got a couple other ones, speaking of scenic areas and waterfalls and that sort of thing. You've got Highlands Falls up in North Carolina. You've got the Waterfall Club as well. Talk about those two projects. Yes, yeah, so we seem to be doing a lot of work on on um, magnificent terrain uh, with you know in the mountain areas. So we we are we're under construction. In fact, today I was up at Waterfall Club, which is in on Lake Burton in North Georgia. So it's it's a beautiful mountain lake area, very popular. And then this golf course um, is associated with that with the com- community called Waterfall Club, and it literally has the second hole from the tees down to the green that drops over 200 feet. And it's a waterfall the whole way, and that hence the name of the club. And it's really unbelievable. We're doing all new bunkers, green surrounds, and a ton of drainage on that project. So we're under construction right now. And then, ironically, up in Highlands, which is further up into North Carolina, beautiful mountain community there, a really fun town to visit if you if you've ever if you don't know of it. It's it's a, a place with great restaurants and and art galleries and shopping and golf and hiking and, and just a great getaway place. Well, Highlands Falls is a Joe Lee course that we're redoing completely. And we are, we're, we're kind of blowing this one up, but we also have a, the 15th hole is one of the most unique holes in golf. It's a, a little bitty par three, not much more than a wedge, just pretty much a wedge shot, but it has a hundred and about 50 foot waterfall that starts well above the green and goes right next to the green all the way down to the 14th green and the green is smaller than your house and I don't know how big your house is but it's a little <laughs> bitty it's a little bitty green and um it's it's really an exciting all or nothing shot and so to to work on both of these golf courses in these environments right now is is um very fortunate to do so and and you know just love being out on, on the property you know it, it's just fresh air beautiful views uh waterfall in, in contrast to Macklemore, Highlands Falls is a very small, intimate golf course, and it's gorgeous. It's just, it's as pretty as it can be with rhododendron and, and hemlock trees and, and it's in streams and, and ponds all over the property. Just, just a, a completely different mountain experience, much more rainforest-like. Uh, so there, the high contrast between, between the two golf courses, but what a, what a, what a privilege I have for work, to work on them. Bill, when we think about the great golf course designers, everyone sort of has a signature that you can say. And I know you've been involved in projects where you've gone in and, and taken a golf course back to how it was originally intended by some of, like I say, some of the Hall of Fame golf course designers. 
But when you think about your work, what's the signature of a Bill Bergen golf course? You know, one of the things that happens on each of our courses, um, they're harder for the better players and easier for the average golfer, which is I'm really proud of. It's probably hard to explain, but we we know what challenges. You know, I, I was able to play, as you mentioned, 50 PGA Tour events, and I, I played in five majors. I know what good players deal with mentally and physically when they play golf, and, and probably more mentally is what matters. And then I taught for three years at Cherokee in Atlanta, which is a big 2,000-member club. And I literally, as a teacher, I really paid attention to what average golfers deal with when they play golf. And so our designs are set up for people to be able to play the game on the ground, be able to navigate their way around hazards, but challenge you significantly if you play more aggressively and you play more through the air. And so we do both. Now, I'd say that the coolest thing that I do is is adjust the way the game is played around the greens because most players... While they may be attempting to hit the green, they end up around the green rather than rather than actually on the putting surface. And so what happens around the green, we, we make it um, sort of very playable or collecting for the for the average player and yet really challenging and interesting for the better player. Uh, different elevations, different grass heights, uh, a wide variety of shots so that each time you play the golf course, you feel like what, no matter where the hole lo- is located, it changes and, and you get great variety. So if you played, you know, one of my courses six days in a row, you'd have six different experiences. And Bill, another one of the courses that you've done some work on is the honors course up in Ottawa, Tennessee. It's a, a private course that not enough people really know about. It's one of the top golf courses in the country. I know Golf Digest ranked it 28th in their top 100 this year. Talk about being a part of that golf course and that country club and some of the history behind it. Well, that's a, a, a beautiful golf course developed by a guy named Jack Lupton, and it is one of it's the premier golf course in the state of Tennessee. Now, while I would like to have worked on a whole bit, a bunch of that golf course, I did all the practice facilities. So I did the driving range, uh, a short game area, you know, two and a half acre short game area, all of that I worked on. But otherwise, I, I haven't. It's Pete Dye original, um, a really cool golf course. I think it's the most natural site Pete's ever worked with. Uh, just a gorgeous site. You know, he's done some amazing jobs on sites that really offered nothing to begin with. Think about TPC, uh, at Sawgrass and PGA West and, and even, uh, Whistling Straits. You know, he just totally redid the landscape there. Um, came, you know, built something from nothing. The honors course, he really had a great piece of property and it, and it shows. And so, um, Really a special place, uh, always a privilege to, to be out there and to have spent time on that property and to have worked on it. And Bill, when you're considering taking on a new designing project and you're working with the owner and that sort of thing, and you're going out and visiting the property, what are you looking for? How do you decide, yeah, I can work with this piece of land or you know what? Yeah, it looks nice, but it's just not going to work. <laughs> That's that's a good question. So th- that waterfall project, um, interestingly enough, uh, uh, the rumor is that several architects looked at it um, back in the day and said, no, too, it's too severe. And a, um, a, a man named Scott Poole, who worked with Pete Dye, actually said, I can do it. And he did. Um, it is it is a a uh, stern piece of property, uh, very bold. And he, he built an uh, an amazing routing um, that that managed to produce a, a pretty good golf course. Now we are redoing it. We're we're making it more friendly 
for golfers. We're improving the bunkers, improving the drainage. We are working on it, but he did accomplish that. On in my case, I've really not worked on a property where I went, oh no, that's just not any good for golf. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to work on on land that that works pretty well, or you you choose a routing that allows you to. Um, you know, each place you work, um, it's not always not all the topography is usable, so you have to take the best areas and and the most gentle that that are conducive to golf. And and typically there's a real estate component with that as well. So uh, with renovations, it's easier because they're already there. Uh, we're about to start a new job down in um, at Valdosta Country Club, and you know I like doing historical renovations. Um, and that's one of the original eight golf courses in Georgia, and we're going to get started on it next week. So really excited to um, add that to our to our resume. And Bill, when when you do a new course like that, you know how how do you and the owner go about finding the right superintendent because you're going to go through all that work and put together a beautiful golf course and then trust it to just anybody. How do you decide who the right guy or gal is to come in and take care of the, uh, the beautiful uh, golf course you just built? Uh, good question. So at this point, I've done about 70 projects, which means I have about 70 superintendents as resources. And so it's a networking situation just like anything else. So at Macklemore, we actually did hire a new superintendent. We did steal him from one of my other projects. And, um, <laughs> and that's worked out well. That was Ryan Emerson. And, um, and he came from one of my other projects. And then, um, recently, uh, one of my courses in Atlanta that you're familiar with, Dunwoody Country Club, their superintendent retired. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I did assist in the, in the club in the interviewing process in the beginning. Um, kind of whittling down from 50 resumes, let's say, to about six. And then the club made the ultimate decision. But it's a, you know, there's a lot of references, a lot of, you know, what course are you working on? What type of grass do you work on? That's a big deal. Um, you know, knowing that we, we, what the grasses that we have are the same as what you're used to working. You know, guys do want to move, um, and changing grasses can be, can be an issue. So we're always looking for somebody who's compatible with the type of golf course we're working on. Some guys are specialists with bent grass greens, other guys, Bermuda grass greens, you know, and there's all different types of grasses in the fairways, et cetera. But it's a, you know, it's a almost, I would call it a fraternity, but, you know, everybody knows each other pretty well. It's kind of a small industry. And so referral is a big deal. Speaking of grasses, that's the, that's the next question I had is, how do you decide what the right grass is going to be for the fairway and for the greens to make sure that it's something that can thrive and flourish and whatever the climate is, wherever you're building the course. Well, the key word you just mentioned is climate. So we have to pick something that works in that area. Uh, We're about to start construction next month at Dalton Country Club in North Georgia. And while Macklemore is not that far from Dalton, Macklemore sits at 2,000 feet above sea level, and Dalton's more in the 600 range. So it's 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 hotter. And so while we have bent grass greens up at Macklemore, we have determined that at Dalton we're going to go with Bermuda grass greens because that's a grass that's just we can produce better results more months with Bermuda grass at Dalton than we can. Than we than we could with bent, and so we are changing the grass there. And then they're always developing new strains. Like the since uh, in honor of the Auburn victory uh, this past weekend, um, the the grass we actually used at Macklemore on the greens. It's bent grass, and again, it's cooler up there. But the grass is a grass called AU Victory, developed at Auburn University. So I'm, I'm very pleased to uh, to have <laughs> chosen that grass for that project. I bet. 
So, Bill, I got I got to ask when you as we get, we're coming uh, obviously close to Christmas. What's an item on Bill Bergen's Christmas list this year? You know, I um I was introduced to trout fishing a couple years ago. I've only gone twice in my life, and a superintendent friend of mine has has outfitted me with a rod and a reel, but I don't have anything else. So um so I am looking forward to gradually learning that sport and uh, acquiring uh, something that goes along with helping me go catch a few fish. Ah, good for you. Bill, remind our listeners, uh, again, how they can stay up to date with the great projects you're working on and keep up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's over social media. Yeah, our website is, is burdengolf.com. That's pretty easy, but we're really active so on social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you just Google Burgengolf or Bill Bergen. And uh, and you'll find it because we we post weekly, um, if not more, and and we enjoy it. And people like I think seeing the golf projects, and it's it's fun for us as well. Chris, it's a pleasure to be on your radio show. I look forward to doing it again. Well, Bill, it's always my pleasure to have you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back. I look forward to catching up with you and getting out to Macklemore just as soon as possible. Yes, anytime you want, just let me know. We'll make the, that happen. Really look forward to having you up there to play. Might want to wait till the weather gets a little better, but but we were up there a week ago and it was it was a nice day. So you know how it is in Atlanta and in this area. We get we get we can play right. golf year round. It just depends on the week. That's right, Bill. Thanks again. Take care. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your family. Look forward to catching up soon. Same to you, Chris. Thanks. That's a great Bill Bergen, bergengolf.com. Folks, I'm telling you, when you look at the Macklemore, when I say it's breathtaking, that's not an exaggeration. That 18th hole is is something to behold. And there's a lot of other beautiful looking holes out on the Macklemore. And then you look at some of the other ones, the Highland Falls, Waterfall Club, and some of the other uh, great designs that Bill has. It's spectacular stuff. I tell you, you know, you talk about some of the signatures. I love the way Bill does his bunkers. When you look at the bunker walls and, and how the grass, you know, kind of edges all of that out, I think that's fantastic. That's one of the signatures I can typically recognize or Bergen design, but uh, it's really great stuff, folks. And I encourage you go look, go look on Twitter. I've just retweeted a couple of things as well. So you'll find it on uh, certainly a ton of it on Bill's Twitter page. You'll see some of it on mine as well. And uh, it's great stuff. And I really look forward to getting Bill back on the show uh, just as soon as we possibly can. All right, before I get to my next guest, Gail Graham, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our friends. First over at Tricks on Golf. Now, folks, to play a ball with ultimate uh, spin and stopping power, you're going to need a physics-defying cover with molecular bonds that stretch but don't break. To play a ball that goes far and feels soft, you need a fast-layer core with incredible feel and maximum distance. And that's only in the Z-Star and the Z-Star XV golf balls, and they're only from Strixon. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is LPGA player and legend Gail Graham. Let me remind you about Gail's background. She's from Vanderhoof, British Columbia in Western Canada. She played her college golf at Lamar University, where she was a four-year letterman and an academic All-American in 1986. She was a member of their 1983 team that finished seventh in the NCAA Division I National Championship. 
She was inducted into the Lamar University Hall of Honor in February of 2000. Gail finished fifth in the Canadian Amateur Championship in 1985 and won the Manitoba Amateur Championship and the SMU Fall Classic that same year. She was a member of the Canadian Commonwealth Championship team in 1987. She turned pro in 88 and won the Manhattan Futures Classic title that year. She qualified for the LPGA Tour in 1990 by finishing fifth at the LPGA Final Qualifying Tournament. She got her first win on tour at the 1995 Fieldcrest Cannon Open by two strokes over Tammy Green. She won again in 97 at the Australian Ladies Masters by one stroke over Kari Webb. In 1988, she won the Canadian PGA Women's Championship. And in 2001, she became the first non-American president of the LPGA Tour. In 2002, she was awarded the William and Mousy Powell Award, which is given annually to the LPGA player whose behavior and deeds exemplifies the spirit, ideals, and values of the LPGA Tour. In 2008, she was inducted into the Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame. In 2015, she was inducted into the British Columbia Golf Hall of Fame. You can now see her out on the LPGA Legends Tour and in Golf Tips Magazine as a part of their top 25 instructors or with my good friend Tom Patry down in Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida, teaching the game. And I'm very honored. She is back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Gail, thanks for joining me again. My pleasure. It's always fun to, to listen to you talk about my past. <laughs> and it's, it's way past. It's a so heck of a past. Like, wow, I did that. I did that. <laughs> I appreciate Indeed. the shout out. Absolutely. <laughs> So, Gail, before we get into, you know, some playing lessons for our listeners, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. First of all, with the state of the women's game, you know, for me, I think the game is in probably as good a shape as it's been since the 80s and maybe the 90s. You look at the, the 2020 season, we've got 33 official tour events coming up this year. Total prize money is going to be a little over 75 million. So that's one more event and five million more dollars in prize money than we had this year. Talk about your thoughts. How do you feel about where we're at? I think the LPGA is in a really great spot. And and I think one of the greatest pieces of news that came out of the CME Group Tour Championship uh, in a week and a half ago in, in Naples was the, the signing of Mike Wan to an extended uh, contract um, with the LPGA. I, I ran into a couple of the board members and they were thrilled to have that happen because he has taken the LPGA on a, a pretty sharp curve upwards. Uh, since he has been there and, and, uh, he's one that thinks outside the box. And so he, he's added a lot of flair to things that the LPGA has done and over the past 10 years. And I can't believe that actually he's been there for 10 years. I was the president of the tournament owners association when he was named commissioner. Uh, and it was on a, a Thursday and I think he did some press on a Friday and on Saturday morning, he flew from New York out to San Bernardino, California, and showed up at our meeting and asked if it was okay if he came. And it was a good start. Wow. And um, it, it's been a great run ever since. Um, you know, he he's the kind of guy that, that takes his tie off and sits down and listens and, and is is a, is a very shrewd businessman. But at the same time, he makes his constituents feel very comfortable. And um, it's really great news that he's going to be there long term because I think um, you've got some things happening in the near future with the LPGA with a new television contract coming up. Um, it'll kind of align with the PGA Tours television contract. So it's, it's nice timing. And, and, uh, I think they're getting some help from the PGA Tour in terms of negotiating that. So, you know, that, that's only going to push the LPGA further forward too. And, um, you know, talk about the players. There's such a diversity in the players and, and 
to see the leaderboard at the CME um, was, was amazing. What the, the names that were up and down and up and down and in it and out of it and in it. And it was very exciting. You know, Lexi had a great week and, and um, you know, all of the name players that you expected to, the Brooke Hendersons and, and obviously um, the young lady who won Miss Kim and, you know, great, great players um, and really dynamic and, and fun to watch. Um, and I do think that there's, you know, the American public, I still think, needs to embrace the players a little bit more and just get to know them. Um, you know, if you go to an event, it's amazing how accessible the players are and how much fun they are and how much they will engage with you even while they're playing in the middle of their round. And um, So it's, I, I think it's a great thing to be able to um, have that group of players for Mike Wan to be able to push forward and, and take to the next level. Um, you know, Solheim Cup this year was just unbelievable. and. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, the LPGA is in such a great spot. Um, you know, we're a global tour and it's interesting to watch the PGA tour now start to become more global. Um, they've got a couple of events over in Asia now that they didn't have a few years ago. So, um, we're one step ahead of them there, but you know, they're on the upswing. They got lots of great, great things happening. And, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the next few years to watch them. You mentioned Brooke Henderson and we, We've got golf back in the Olympics next summer. I, I think we all expect to see Brooke Henderson representing your home country of Canada there. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people high on Elena Sharp to be a part of that Canadian team as well. She's coming off a strong season. Talk about both of them and, and uh, getting golf back into the Olympics once again. Definitely. They are, they are the forerunners for our Olympic team. And I, and I, I don't think. They'll count themselves as shoe-ins, but certainly they, uh, someone really has to come, you know, out of the blue to, to unseed them from being on that team. During the week of the CME, Elena actually stayed with me. And so we had a few conversations about the Olympics and, and the end of the year and what she's accomplished this year and what she's looking forward to next year. And, I, um, one of my dear friends, Bob Weeks from, from TSN up in Canada had remarked that, you know, what a great year and it looks like she's, on track for a great 2020. And I kind of feel like Elena's ready for a total breakout year. There's a lot of stuff that she's let go of, um, golf related, you know, outside of golf that have sort of bogged her down a little bit. And, and she's, she's free of all that. And she's, she's playing good golf and she's knowledgeable about her own game and her swing. And she can make the changes she needs to make fairly quickly. And, you know, on the golf course to be able to score and, um, you know, I think, you know, one good break in a, in a tournament and we know how those bounces go one good bounce and, and she could be well on her way to having just a standout year in 2020. And, um, obviously Brooke has been, a, you know, a huge highlight for Canadian fans and she is such a great individual that you, you know, no matter how she plays, you're wishing for her to play well because she's just great to watch. She's a really good person down in her heart and, um, you know, when she, it's fun to watch her, I think, when she gets a little mad. And you don't see that very often. She doesn't show that emotion very often. But when she does, boy, she turns it into something. I've watched her shoot 74 one day and be really unhappy with herself. Um, and come back the next day, shoot 64, 65. Just, just that spurn. And, you know, she tapped into that. I think this time last year, I, I had said that she needed to work hard on her putting and improve on her putting. And she did a great job of that this year. So, you know, it's just putting all the pieces together. And I, I think that as a team, uh, you know, going into the Olympic year, um, Elena and, and Brooke 
really mesh well together. They were there in Rio together. Um, Elena has been quite a mentor to Brooke. Um, they're very close friends. They look out for each other. And, and so it's really fun to see not, not only Brooke and, and, uh, Elena, but, um, Sarah Bowman, Elena's partner and caddy, and then Brittany, um, uh, Brooke's sister all mesh together and, and be there co and coexist as a team. They're excited to be with each other and play for each other and play for Canada. So I think, you know, Canada's got a pretty good shot, I think, going into the 2020 Olympics. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? I mean, the Asian women are so strong. I was curious to get yes. your thoughts. Can the, can the Canadian team or the U.S. team give them a run? On any given week, you know, on, on any given week, you get you get going on on a golf course that suits your eye and you start seeing lines with putts, um, and it could be anybody's week. Um you know, certainly the Korean team is going to be very, very strong. Um, they, they've got such depth in their players that anyone could come off the bench and be a great fill-in for anyone else. And, um, you know, I'm not sure N.B. Park, who was Olympic gold medalist, will even be part of the conversation for this next Olympics simply because of their depth. Um, I do think the Americans have a, an excellent chance. Um, you've got, you've got Lexi playing some great golf. You've got the Corda sisters, Nellie being the highest ranked. Um, American player now. I, I think there's more and more depth on the American side. Uh, you look at some of those players that came through in the, in the Solheim Cup, the Brittany Altamares, um, the Allie McDonald's, you know, and, and the younger, the younger players. I think you're going to see Jarena Pillar come back, um, after having a baby last year, also Stacey Lewis and, and be part of that conversation. So there again, I think the Americans have some serious depth, um, from which to to go by and hopefully be a part of that uh, podium as well. Continuing the the thought about Brooke and 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 what she's meant to the game. I know she was recognized with the Founders Award at this year's LPGA Awards ceremony. That's an award you won back when it was known as the William and Mousy Powell Award. Talk about what that award meant to you and uh, what it was like then seeing uh, Brooke win the same one. That was I was so proud of her. Um you know, you're out there to compete and, and you're not necessarily vying for the good wishes of your fellow competitors. But when you, when you have your own peers voting for you in something like that, um, it really, it really hits close to home because you realize that you're not only are you doing a good job with your own performance on the golf course, but you're really taking hold of what the LPGA is and, and the things that you should be doing. Um, I remember. When in 1990, when I was a rookie, Kathy Whitworth standing up in a players' meeting and saying, "You must leave the LPGA a better place than when you got here." And so, and I know Mike Wan preaches that to his players, and and that's what, you know, that's what the founders were about. They worked very hard to grow the game outside of their own competitive careers. They they did everything they needed to do to make the LPGA better. And you know, a player like Brooke, who you know, signs autographs and does all the media stuff and is there for extra pro-ams and is there for sponsor meetings and, and is willing to give her time and, and just be herself, um, outside of the ropes it is really super important. And then when you take it inside the ropes, you know, the performance level is outstanding. Um, and, and you then have that combined with just the good person that she is. And it's, it's just amazing for that to happen. Um, I choked with one of the, with flagship golf up in Canada and uh, about that. Uh, Lori Kane and I had both won the award before Brooke came along. So we felt like we, 
Lori and I feel like we set a good example. <laughs> it's been a few years since we both have been <laughs> out there, but it's nice to know, you know, it's pretty cool to think three Canadians have won that award. I think that speaks to our, to, to their, our core values as a nation. Um, and we're not sorry about it. So I won't say I'm sorry, but I think it's great. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road she won it again simply because of, of just who she is and, and what she gives back to the game. Gail, a moment ago, you talked about accessibility of players, and that is certainly a thing on the LPGA Tour, but it's you know, taken up another notch for the LPGA Legends Tour that you're a part of. I think one of the great things about the Legends Tour is how accessible the, uh, you and the other ladies are. I mean, you talk about it um, mid-round, well, you guys are right out there amongst the gallery, interacting with them <laughs> through the course of the round, before the round, after the round. Talk about the LPGA Legends Tour. Well, you know, we got we got to keep those fans out there coming and watching us. So it's, we want to be very nice to them so that they'll return. But, uh, you know, one of the great places that we play is French Lick. And, and that Pete Dye golf course is one of the toughest golf courses I've ever played. And um, we have people come out to watch us out there. And, and it's a tough walk around that golf course for a spectator. It's a tough walk for us, but it's a tough walk for the spectators. And they're out there following along. and um, in, in enjoying it. And, you know, even, I would say even to the players, it, you know, for us interacting with, with each other, I think we are more accessible to each other than we were ever were when we were on tour. Um, when I first went out on the Legends tour, I was playing a practice round up at Innisbrook, I think it was, with, uh, Don Coe Jones and Nancy Scranton and Pat Bradley was in the group in front of us and we were on a par three and she waved us up. And the next thing I know, she was, we had hit, but she got in her cart and she drove back to us and she came over and she welcomed me to the legends tour. Cause it was my first event. And then she apologized. Wow. To me. And she said, Gail, I want to let you know that even though in all the years that I was on tour, I always called you pro and called everyone else pro. Um, I, I always knew your name. You know, I was, I was, I was happy for you when you hit good shots. I was happy for you when you played good rounds, but I didn't want to get personal. Because that I felt like that was my competitive edge. And she said, I kind of regret it now because I see now being out here how much more accessible I uh, I can be and still play good golf. And I was blown away because, you know, we used to bug her, actually. We said, you don't know my name, do you? Because you'd play four hours worth or she'd get in the, in the scoring tent and say, hey, pro, that was a great round. And it's like, well, you're signing my scorecard. Surely you know my name. So we joked with her about it. And, and so now I never call her Pat. I always call her pro. So every time you see her, I'm like, Hey, pro, just to kind of give her a little jab back, but it's kind of fun. But, but I think you're right. I think the, the accessibility factor is really important. And, and, you know, we grew up in that era where, where the fans were close to us. Um, you know, they're getting, they're getting bigger groups of, of galleries in there now that makes it a little less that way, but it, it surely doesn't, you know, hinder you from, saying hello to somebody or shaking someone's hand or signing an autograph. And it, you know, it's not so disturbing that it's going to take you out of your rhythm. It, it really isn't. So um, there are some players that won't, and and that's true of any sport, but um, I think the accessibility factor is really important. Um, the women's game has always had that. And I think you see it a little more on the PGA tour now with some of the younger guys and how they interact more with the crowd than, than they ever used to. Um, there was a period of time where, you know, I didn't like going to PGA Tour events because I'm not sure those guys ever even saw that there were people in the gallery. They were just so, um, had blinders on. 
And I think there's been sort of resurgence of having that, knowing that that these are the people that we're performing for and we're entertaining and we should be doing that. So, but, you know, we get out there to French Lick and, and at the U.S. Senior Women's Open, they actually, there's not many ropes. You could actually walk down the fairway with the players. Um, so it's kind of fun to be right there on top of it and hear them, um, you know, hear what they have to say and hear them when they get mad and hear them when they get excited. And, and, um, I certainly enjoy it. It's way more fun having somebody close in there than so far away that you're not sure that they appreciate the shot that you just hit when they're standing right next to you, they can really appreciate it. So, um, I think it's a great thing that, that the legend tour does, um, really reach out to their players and be, be on top of just being yourself and, and allowing the fans into your game. Um, and I think it's, you know, the LPGA does a great job of that also. Gail, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you before I let you go. <laughs> and, and you wrote, sure. you wrote an article and, uh, in, in one of your blogs that, uh, you see so many men swinging too hard. And I think we see the guys yeah. out on the PGA tour do it. And, you know, we all want to hit, you know, long shot. We want to drive it, you know, a million miles and all that sort of stuff. So now we're all sort of swinging out of our shoes. What should we sure. be focused on? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because I just went to a, a Mach 3 speed training course. And we there, there the, the sort of the talk was that you want your speed out in front of you. So actually this morning I, I was on the range with a, a member of SMAD and I was she, she had said to me, boy, I put a lot of effort into that and it didn't go anywhere. So the effort needs to be in the right places and the effort needs to be effortless. That, that it sounds crazy, but, um, Jim Collins, who was my, one of my very first teachers at St. Charles Country Club in, in Winnipeg, I can remember him saying to me, cause I'd asked, he, he had this beautiful golf swing and he still does. He's 81. This beautiful rhythmical golf swing, very classic sort of Payne Stewart type of golf swing. And he called it practiced nonchalance. So it looked like you were really nonchalant about what you were doing, but you had to practice it. You had to, you had to be comfortable with taking a swing that didn't have you coming out of your shoes, but had your timing and your rhythm and your rotation in the correct sequence that allowed you to create the most club head speed. Um, I do a lot of, of training with the students that I work with on tempo. And just trying to feel their tempo and feel where the speed should be coming. Um, I think when a lot of people try to swing hard, they swing very hard from the top of their swing, from their transition down to the ball. And, and the ball is not the target. The target is the target. So you want to swing through the ball to your target and have that speed increasing as you get to the ball and go through it. And that will actually take you up to a really nice high finish in balance. But if you swing very hard from the top and quickly from the top, you're going to put all your 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 center of gravity up in your upper body and you're going to lose your balance very easily. So I, I think, you know, using thinking about your tempo and slowing down your tempo a little bit in, in your backswing, you need to understand that when you slow your tempo down in your backswing, you will get faster on the way through as long as you swing through the ball and to the target. And I think that's one of the things that I see what people get that they can finally sort of buy into it and, and learn how to do it and learn how to feel it on the driving range. And then you have to learn how to translate it onto the golf course. And I think you have to do that by really simplifying things and, and, you know, working it down to, uh, you know, a, a vision 54 
idea that you should have one sensory, maybe two, one or two sensory things that you have in your play box when you're actually getting over the ball, hitting it. That, that is an awareness. It's not really a thought. It's a, I feel this. Um, the same woman that I taught this morning, she, she knew that if she felt a bit of a, um, a stretch in her, in the left side of her back, in her lats, if she felt that in her backswing, then she knew she made a good rotation. Then she could just go for it on the way through the golf ball and the club would return to where, you know, the starting point. And, um, this is a, a lady who is a very much beginner is a, she's an iron woman. So she's, she's run the iron man. So she understands her body. And as soon as we got talking about swinging it all the way and, and returning it, you know, into a high position in the finish and turning it, rotating her body through and using that speed through the golf ball rather than to the golf ball. Wow. She started hitting eight iron, you know, over a hundred yards, which is awesome. Um, you know, so I, I think we, we have to practice the technical part of things. Um, and, and learn and then tech, you know, tempo being one of those technical things that you have in your golf swing. But then you have to learn how to translate it to the golf course. And I think that's one of the key things that I, I put people get so frustrated with is they can't get it to the golf course. So it's one thing to stand there on the range and do it, but you have to actually practice to get it out on the golf course. And, um, that's where I like to do that. I like to get them out there and talk them through it and, and let them see that, wow, I can do this on the golf course. And all, and it changes their whole game, and that's a lot of fun. One of the other things that you've written about in your blog is regarding chipping. It's it's really you know chipping with intention, and I think that's something yeah. a lot of we amateurs struggle with. We we sort of commit to the shot, and then we get over the <laughs> ball, and we become indecisive, and we decelerate, and the next thing you know, we chunk it, and it comes up short. How do we do better? Right. Well, one of the things that I love to do, and I do this with my game, and I really think that uh, my chipping and pitching is better now than it ever was when I was on tour. Um, I had a good short game, but uh, boy, I wish I had my short game that I had now back then. Um, I'm always looking for a, a place to land the ball. And and when I look at a chip shot, the, one of the first things that I'll do is look to see where halfway is to the hole. If halfway is on the green, um I, I'm going to then go to using pitching wedge because I, I find that pitching wedge in, with a chip shot, a pitching wedge will fly about halfway and it'll roll about halfway. And so if I can do that and, and use a, use a shot that gets the ball on the ground, landing on the green faster so or sooner. Um, if I try to hit sand wedge, I may need to fly it about two thirds to three quarters of the way. I have to be far more precise in what I'm doing. So if you can use a lo- lower lofted club and you f- you look at that spot, okay, where's halfway to the hole, and try to land the ball halfway to the hole, your results will be much better. A lot of the amateurs that I teach, and I know that Tom Patry teaches as well, will stand there and look at it and that ball flies to the hole every time. And then they end up with a 15 or 20 footer coming back. And it almost doesn't occur to them that they need to land the ball short and let it finish at the hole. And so that's, you know, one of my key mantras is finding that spot and using a little bit of a, um, a little, uh, algorithm, if, uh, for lack of a better word, to, to find what club to hit. Um, the, the faster you can get the ball on the ground, if you've got a quarter of the way gets the ball on the ground, then lower loft is a better idea. If you've got more, uh, stuff to fly over, let's say a bunker or rough or just fairway, 
to land it on the green, then you're going to have to take that higher lofted club. But making the right club choice based on where you want the ball to land makes the dispersion rate and come right in. And you'll all of a sudden, instead of having 15 footers for your your first putt on the green, you're going to have 10 footers and then five footers and then two footers. So you're going to get that ball coming in closer and closer to the hole. Um, you know, chipping, I think the one thing that helps you do that, and I think is a total miss by most amateurs, is using your eyes. If you stand there with a golf ball in your hand and you look at the spot you want to land the ball on and you underhand toss that ball, pretty much every time you're going to come pretty darn close to that spot because you're reacting. And in in amateur golf and in recreational golf, we're not doing a good job of reacting to our target. We're reacting to the golf ball, meaning that we're staring at that stinking golf ball and wishing it to go where we want it to instead of being proactive and looking at the spot we want the ball to land and allowing your brain to just take over and feel that underhand toss so that you can land the ball where you want to. Um, it's a fun way to use it. And, you know, gosh, looking at your target, the ball, your brain might actually know where you want to go. Um, a lot of times I, I see this with people with driver in their hand. They're staring at the ball, staring at the ball, staring at the ball. And then they take a swing and the ball goes all over the place. And they don't quite understand why. Well, your swing basically stopped at the ball. You didn't swing through the ball. Your power, all your your momentum basically stopped at the ball, which means you're slowing down um, and, and instead of accelerating through. So there again, through the ball rather than to the ball. Um, but if you look up at your target, all of a sudden your brain knows, oh, eh, that's where Chris wants to go. So maybe I should swing the club out to that and the <laughs> ball will go there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Hi, Gail. Before I let you go, I got to ask the question. What's it like being on the practice tee with Tom Patry every day? It's got to drive you nuts. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on the day. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's lots of fun. We we poke we poke fun at each other a lot. Actually, today I, I was able to just you know ask ask may I may I say something to one of the students who I knew well. But you know I learned something every day watching Tom teach, and and I think that's that's something that is. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to do. Um, the man has an immense amount of knowledge and, and um, I'm excited for this season because the man who was not into all of the gadgets, into, you know, well, I shouldn't say all of the gadgets. He has lots of training aids, but into the technical stuff, he now has a track man. And that's exciting to me because now I'm going to be able to use it, but also to, to, to learn from him. And he, he spent all of the summer you know, really understanding the numbers and, and putting the numbers to the ball flight and, and seeing both. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of fun to me, but I do, I learn something from him every day. Um, I'm very grateful to him for the opportunity to teach with him. And, um, I, I, he mentioned to me today that he's my number one fan and that he's always promoting me. And I go, I know, but I, I can't let you know that I know. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear what he says because I know he's on tonight, but, um, you know, I'm very, I'm very grateful for Tom Patry. He's, he's giving me a great opportunity and I enjoy being there. Um, even when he does make me a little crazy, because I'm sure I make him crazy too. So it goes both ways. That's fantastic. Gail, remind our <laughs> listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and whether it's on your website or it's over social media. 
Sure. So it's Gail Graham Golf, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then uh, gailgramgolf.com. And you can check me out there. Mess- please message me. Send me uh, questions and, and uh, comments. And, um, you know, once a month, I'm, I'm also in the Naples Daily News with a column, and um, which has been really fun because I get a lot of feedback from that. But um, I'm on all of the social media networks at Gail Graham Golf. Well, Gail, it's always a huge thrill to uh, get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for coming back and being generous with your time tonight. I hope I get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. I look forward to it, Chris, and happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Uh, Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Take care, Gail. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the great Gail Graham, folks. I tell you. You want, you want to talk about a huge thrill to get to spend some time with, uh, with not, not only a great instructor, someone who was an LPGA tour president, someone who's been in more hall of fames than you can shake a stick at. And then on top of that, you, you can hear the positivity and the smile in her voice. All of that wrapped together. Boy, it doesn't get much better than that, folks. Be sure to check her out online, gailgramgolf.com and give her a follow on social media, whether it's on Twitter or it's on uh, Instagram. She's a wonderful follow and a wonderful person, and I look forward to the opportunity, hopefully, to catch up with her again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Patrick, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron of their Fort Worth PTX Pro or Edge irons and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan woods, irons, and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made woods, irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications and, best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of great golf equipment. Again, golf equipment, bags, accessories, all of that available now online at BenHoganGolf.com. This segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under, Men's Performance Briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, and that's a whole nother story. And your girlfriend and or wife is going to love the side effects, a visually enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market and use coupon code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Resort guest line is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Tom is a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor, just like my last guest, Gail Graham. He's down in Naples, Florida now for his winter residency. You can find him in Esplanade Golf and Country Club. So check out his website, TomPatry.com. Look at all the great videos and golf instruction he's got on there. Subscribe to his newsletter, which you can also do on there. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, so doing great stuff with that brand, and it's always a privilege to be able to welcome him back on the show. ATP, how are you? Chrissy boy! What's happening, my man? (laughs) 
Ah, <laughs> uh, much. How you doing, TP? How's life down in uh, in what you call paradise in Naples? It, it is it is paradise. I'm so happy to be home, Chris. Uh, it's great. We're off to a great start. I was so happy that Gail was on tonight, uh, and and just to echo your sentiments. Um, you know, she talked about being on the lesson tee with me and learning from me, but you know, you, you get on a lesson tee alongside somebody who who won an Australian Masters, who you know, who played on tour for you know probably I think about fifteen or sixteen years. You know, won multiple times. Um, she says things that come out of her mouth, and she doesn't even know half the time what she's saying and how how much weight it carries, just based on all that experience. Um, she really doesn't. You know, she talked about me getting more technical with gadgets. I don't really feel like I'm getting more technical. I feel like I'm playing catch up sometimes. But um, as long as we teach this game every day, we should learn something. And 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 she talked about learning things from me, but she doesn't realize with me, with her students, with people that she talks to casually at the club, um, when she answers a golf question, it's coming from a a great encyclopedia of knowledge based on just pure experience. So um, it's been fun being back. I, I, I miss being around her all, all summer. Um, so it's great catching up. Uh, she does a heck of a job with her, with her, with her students. She, uh, she's so damn passionate uh, and she, and she really has embraced teaching and coaching, which, you know, not not every player can do that. You know, walk away from a playing career and dive into a teaching uh, teaching career and be good at it. She's become very good at it. Um, so that's been fun being back around her. But Naples is just, you know, Chris, it's just a wonderful place. The weather's great. It, it's a great town. The beaches are wonderful. Uh, you know, it's got kind of a Midwest vibe. The people are pretty laid back. It's it's not quite the hustle and bustle of the East Coast. Uh, yeah, can you tell I'm happy to be home? I mean, I'm really happy to be home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should be so, at the Chamber of Commerce, shouldn't I? <laughs> Indeed. Tom, <laughs> I know with your return to Florida, and I know what a big fan of Bermuda Greens you are. So, for people coming to Florida for the winter, they might be used to bent grass greens. How can we make the adjustment to Bermuda Greens? You know, you know, Chris. Uh, before I knock Bermuda greens, let me let me tell you how far they've come. I mean, the, the putting surfaces that I putted on, for example, in college a hundred years ago, were were really, really, really super grainy. Um, they were almost thatchy, if you will, uh, and they really were not fun to putt on at all. But now with so many hybrid strains of past palm and and celebration and so many other strands strains of Bermuda, they really perfected it and. and when you're at a club that's really maintained really well, um, and, and the superintendent's got a little bit of talent, it's not really quite as different as it used to be. Although, you know, listen, it's not Ben Crest. Don't get me wrong. It's not Ben Crest, but, you know, I, I played, uh, I played around the golf recently at a place in town here called Old Florida. And, and the superintendent there is, is very, very talented. And, and I got to tell you, they rolled, just as good as any bentgrass I've ever been on in my life. Um, so that is possible now in Florida. Now, that's a very high-end club, and they've got a nice budget, and they do a heck of a job there, and they don't have a lot of traffic there in comparison to some places. But in those situations, in those conditions, some of these hybrid grasses are really terrific. The main thing here is uh, there is grain. There is more grain than you, than you see that, you know, on high-end on high-end bent that's really maintained in verticut and and, and cut at very low heights and rolled, not much grain. You can get the grain out of the bent pretty quickly. 
Uh, there always gonna, is going to be some degree of, of grain down here. It's a different type of grass and different strand of blade of grass. Um, you have to know where west is, the setting sun, or large bodies of water. Grain will tend, tend generally grow in those directions. So whenever I go to the first tee, depending on where I'm playing, I want to know where west is. I want to know where the setting sun is going, obviously. I want to know if there's any large bodies of water on the golf course or if we're close, close to the coastline. I certainly want to know either where the Gulf of Mexico on the West Coast or the Atlantic is on the East Coast. So those are things I look for right away because that's not that it's a perfect scenario, but that's a pretty strong possibility. Tom, switching gears a little bit. And one of the things that, uh, that I struggle with is you know, when you, when you start getting into the scoring irons, you know, seven iron, eight iron, nine iron, pitching wedge, you know, t- take me through this setup because I think there's a lot of things out there with how we're setting up for those scoring irons. So ball in, in our stance, where should that be? Where are my hands in relation to the ball at setup? Should I be taking a full swing? Should I be doing a, a little, you know, three-quarter swing and using a little more club? There's a lot of information out there. What's the misinformation and what should we be doing with that sort of iron in our hands? Yeah, that, that's a great, Chris, that's a great question. I mean, it's, Somebody must be feeding these these questions, Chris. You're not that smart normally. This is really good. This is good. Oh stuff. my! <laughs> yeah, right. I'm gonna get, I'm, and we're gonna we're gonna get to the Yankees and the Red Sox in just a little while. Oh, um, here we go. Buckle <laughs> yeah, up. Here we go. So that that really is a great question, seriously. And I think if more people embrace this answer, more people would show, shoot really much lower scores. I don't hit, and I I was taught this. I was not smart enough myself to figure this out by myself, but I was taught. That from about 150 yards in, that good players didn't really hit very many full shots. You know, if you turn on CBS on Sunday afternoon, you hear things like uh, three-quarter eight iron. You grip down on a seven iron. You hit a you know a little punch nine iron. You had the ball back with his wedge a little bit more. You hear things like that all the time. Yet these players hit very explosive long shots with their longer clubs. But they get down to you know inside the 150 marker or probably nowadays inside the 170 marker with the distances they're hitting it and they generally grip down on the club a little bit they might have moved the ball back in their stance a little bit they, they change the size of their golf swing both back and through in a very symmetrical manner and they're really controlling the blade of the club through the impact area a lot better and they're flighting the ball down i see so many people come down to florida during the winter and hit the ball straight up in the air like they're playing in, you know, in Ohio or northern New York or Canada or Wisconsin, wherever they're from. And we have this thing in Florida that happens a lot. It's called wind. <laughs> and they send the ball up into that condition, and consequently, they don't hit very many greens and regulation. I guess my influence came from the fact that I grew up on the east end of Long Island in New York, out towards Shinnecock Hills, where it's pretty breezy out there during the summer. And then my college golf was in Florida, so most of my golf, was played in windy conditions. So I guess that I morphed into that just out of pure necessity. Um, but if more people would learn how to control the flight of their golf ball, and I mean their trajectory with their scoring irons by doing things I just mentioned, I think they'd, they'd hit a lot more greens and regulation and, and have the ball a lot closer to the hole. And TP, I want to talk about finish and, and, and posture because I still have that sort of reverse C finish. How can I do a better job of finishing more perpendicular to the ground with my weight on my on my left foot with our front foot and make sure that you know I'm I'm saving my back and I'm actually getting a nice weight shift through the golf ball. 
Well, Chris, I think you have to understand, first of all, there are two tilts in golf. To tilt forward towards the golf ball, you're bending from the waist forward from, from your from your pelvic region. And there also there's a little slight tilt of your spine to the right. Uh, and the only reason that you're tilting slightly to the right, basically, is because if you put two hands on the golf club and two arms are the same length and your right arms, your right hand's on the club lower than your left hand, consequently, your right shoulder is going to be a little lower than your left shoulder. So if you can stay in that posture and rotate through the shot um, and, and finish through the golf shot, by releasing your right side, um, you'll do a better job in posting up over your left leg. So there's a lot of people out there, and, and so even some of my peers that talk to people a lot about not using their trail hand for, for a right-hander is a right is their right hand, um, not using the right hand's bad or evil or no good. The right side of your body is going to help you compress the golf ball. You've got to deliver the right side of your body with a forward-leaning club shaft to compress a golf ball. So I'm I've never told anybody that the right hand wasn't important, that the right side wasn't important. I want you to feel like you're right. You know, when people talk about the belly button first facing the target, I don't really say that to people. I want you to finish left of the target. Feel fully rotated left because that momentum will carry you up into your left side better and get you into that what I call vertical level left or perpendicular condition that you that you just asked me about. So I think you've got to release the right side of your body as long as you're releasing it in posture on plane to hit a compressed golf shot. And TP, you recently did a video that people can go out on your Facebook page and check out, and it was about becoming a more creative wedge player. What are some of the things that we should go out on the practice range? And we, you know, you've pounded into my head over the years, short game, short game, short game. And that's a place where we don't spend enough time. But if we go out on the practice range, what are some of the shots that we should be playing around with that can help us become more creative and better wedge players? And that's a, that's a great, another great question, Chris. Um, the, the, the video you're referencing was I was fortunate enough to film uh, recently five video tips at Manchester Lane, which is Titleist's R&D test facility um, in Fairhaven, Massachusetts in the fall. And they're all on my YouTube channel now and on my, like you said, they're being posted gradually onto my Facebook page and my social media networks at Instagram and, and Twitter. But that, that particular video you're discussing, which was called Creative Wedge Play, which is available for free for anybody to go see it, was really a culmination of information and, uh, and teachings, um, that I was so fortunate enough to be a part of with, with Seve Ballesteros in the 90s when I was at Westchester Country Club. And Seve kind of pounded into me that to really be a great player and score, you had to be more creative. I, I had to be personally more creative with my wedge play. And again, it goes back to what I just said about short iron. Talked about, you know, you know, putting your hands on various places on the handle, high, medium, and low, and, and opening the face and using the bounce of the club. And, you know, forward leaning club shafts and neutral club shafts and ball back and ball forward. And, you know, I always say to people, you know, the greatest short, the two greatest short game instructors in America today are Dr. Trial and Mr. Error. <laughs> And if you went out to a short game area with your, with your wedges and you just spent some time trying different things, you know, opening the blade, closing the blade, putting the ball back, putting the ball forward, leaning the shaft more left, leaning the shaft more right, getting more weight on your left foot, more weight on your right foot, you'd notice that a lot of different things happen with the golf ball in terms of spin rates and trajectories uh, and angle of attack. And those balls will all react a little differently. I think that if you if you if you if you if you want to be a good wedge player and you want to be a good short game player, you've got to have a little bit of that creative bug in you and go out there and do a little experimenting. Now, I wouldn't advise 
the mid to high handicapper to, 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 to do, to go down that road by themselves, I would certainly enlist Gail Graham and Tom Patry in Naples, Florida to, to kind of guide them through that process a little bit and talk about different combinations of ball position, length of shaft, shaft lean, mount on loft you're choosing for particular shots and, and kind of get a little bit of a, a guidance there. I, I think the average player gets so in their box. I always chip with my pitching wedge or I always chip with my 60 or I always, I always chip with my seven iron. I, I don't always chip with anything. I, I my, my shot selection is based on the conditions that I encounter in terms of my lie, where the pin is located, you know, the undulation that I have to go over or around, uh, you know, the condition of the green and putting surface and what's between me and the hole. So a lot of factors go into me making those choices. And I think people get so one-dimensional in their short game, they can't possibly really fully exploit, exploit the, the scoring possibilities. Tom, you've also got another really good video about what to do when we find ourselves sort of off the beaten path, if you will. Maybe we pushed it a little bit into the trees or something along those lines, and now we've got an obstacle in our way that we got to fade it or hook it around in order to get ourselves back into play or get it uh, get it near on the green. Talk about what we need to do in our setup and how we need to swing in order to pull that sort of curvature off. Well, that that video you're talking about, again, again is one of those Titles videos from the Manchester Lane, Chris, and I want to thank the people at Titles for having me up there and having you as part of that company. But um, I talked and made it very simple. If you watch that video, again, it's available on my YouTube channel and on, and on, my, and on my Facebook page, but I talked about aiming the club face at where you want the ball to finish. Now, let's say between where we're standing, Chris, and that hole we want to get to is a tree directly between us and the hole. I aim my blade, this is scary a little bit, at the hole. The tree's in my way, I understand that. And then I aim my body at where I want the ball to start. So you got to picture this, the, the, the face is facing the hole, but there's a tree in my way, but my body's facing, maybe, if I'm going to hit a cut, well left, and then I swing down my body line. So basically, I'm swinging down the body line with an open face. The ball will start left and curve right. Just the opposite for a draw, I aim at that same tree, but I aim my feet to the right of the tree and swing down my body line with effectively a closed face. The ball will start to the right and go to the left because curve is primarily influenced by two things, face and path. So we're creating a path that goes to the right or to the left of the obstacle, but a face that is either closed or open to the path, which will influence the spin you put on the golf ball. Pretty simple stuff. What do you do with your swing? Absolutely nothing. You swing down your body lines in both cases with different club faces to affect the curve of the golf ball. TP, one more before I let you go. And I got to get an idea. What's on Tom Patry's list for Santa this year? You know, Chris, I, I, I'm really... In all seriousness, I'm really, really blessed. You know, when I come back from wherever I am during the summer, um, and I might have an exciting announcement for you in a couple of weeks here for next summer, but that being said, stay tuned. Um, my November and my December are short months because I, that's my, my two time periods where I take the Thanksgiving week off and I take the Christmas week off because although I could probably cash in those two weeks in Naples, Florida, those two weeks are spent with family and friends uh, and not with clients or customers. There's, those are very special weeks, and I don't give those up for anybody. As a matter of fact, funny story about that, Chris, a couple of years ago, 
a guy called me who was a semi-regular of mine in New York and a pretty, we'll just say he was very affluent and very successful. And he said, Tom, I'm coming down for a couple of days over Thanksgiving break. You know, I want to spend two or three days with you. And I said to him, I'll just call him Bob. I said, you know, Bob, I said, I, I don't work Thanksgiving week. I said, I'm, you know, I'm with my family uh, Thanksgiving week and I don't work that week. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm coming. That's when I'm coming down. I want, I want three days of your time. And I said, Bob, I'm not available that week. He said, I'll double your fee. I said, Bob, you can triple my fee. I said, and, and that's great, but I'm not going to be here that week. So that's my family's time. And that, that, that's all there is to it. So that's, those are very important times for me. Uh, I was just down in Key West at our home in Key West with my wife for Thanksgiving week. And I'm going back down there on Christmas week to spend time with her and some friends down there. Um, I don't think there's anything more important in the world than our family uh, and, and and people who really care about us and, and love us. So I will be in Key West, Florida for Christmas week, and uh, I'll have that palm tree wrapped with Christmas lights. And uh, all I want to do is be, be – and I don't need anything more than that. That's, that's good enough for my Christmas list right there. Wow. Good for you, T.P. That's awesome. So, Tom, and before now, I let you go. Thing. No, one more yeah. thing, Chris. One more. Uh-huh. I heard rumor. I heard rumor today that there were two pitchers named Cole and Strasburg talking to the Stop. Yankees on consecutive days this week. So that would be a really, really nice one-two Christmas present. Don't you agree? <laughs> no, I don't agree. And I hope you get neither one of them. I hope. I hope neither one would go over to the dark side. So I'm hoping that the they go side. somewhere else. The dark that's, side. that's right. The kingdom. That's the kingdom. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's the dark side. Hey, before we you, all before, know you before you give me before you give me that, hey, you know, tell people how they can reach you stuff because that's really not that important. Who cares if they reach me or not? You know, who, who wants to spend time with me? Gail just told you a little while ago it's a nightmare. I want to <laughs> make sure. I want to. I and all seriousness, I want to make sure that your listeners understand that when they tune in to Chris on Next on the T, that that there's nobody better on on the air than Chris Mascaro. Nobody cares about the people he brings on or the people that listen and call in or our armed forces or anybody else that you come in contact with and how lucky we we all are to be part of your your podcast on a regular basis. I've been I've been on a bunch of times now as you know. I'm you know you call me your resident director of instruction. The only person that matters on this podcast is Chris and and, and we are so lucky to be part of this. Uh uh, and, and I talk to a lot of people that are your guests, that are friends of mine, and and we all, ha- everybody has such great things to say about you and 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 how prepared you are and how passionate you are about it. We really appreciate being part of it. So, Merry Christmas to you, Christmas Carol. Nice job, bud. Ah, I appreciate you so much, TP. Merry Christmas to you and 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 to Mrs. Patry, and and I can't thank you enough for being uh, such a, a huge part of this show. You do have to remind everybody how they can find you. They can find me, Chris, in uh, in Paradise. It's called Naples, Florida, and uh, I'm at the Esplanade, which is a, a wonderful place on the north side of town. And then, as far as social media, uh, two Facebook pages: um, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and um, and Twitter, of course. Uh, and man, you do a great job on Twitter yourself, there, pal. I love the stuff you put on Twitter. The tailgate stuff is awesome, by the way. But that's where they can find me, Thank you. as well as my as well as my website at tompatry.com. And it's nine twenty four in Naples, Florida now, and I'm really old, so I'm going to go to bed now. 
Ah, TP, you're the best. I love you, my friend. I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show. You're fantastic. I can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Love you too, pal. Good night, pal. Have a great holiday. If I don't speak to you before then. Thank you. Take care, TP. That's the great Tom Patry. He's a, he's a, one of the best instructors you'll find anywhere. And on top of that, he's a 10 times better person. Go check him out online. TomPatry.com is the site. P-A-T-R-I. Give him a follow on social media. Like I say, it's uh, his videos, his YouTube page, everything about Tom is uh, first rate and top uh, and uh, I say, you know, top shelf, first class. And I can't thank him enough. He's uh, he's just one of the special individuals you get to meet in this life. And I'm very privileged and uh, uh, I can't thank him enough. He's uh, he means a great deal to me and uh, it comes through on the show and you get to uh, get the, the benefits of. Of having him here on a uh, on a pretty uh, like I say you know every other week essentially, Tom is here giving you more and more great instruction and tips and insights. They just don't come better. I can't thank Tom enough. All right, now back with me and making his fourth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Terry Kaler. Let me remind you about Terry's background. He's from uh, Quero, Texas, which is a small town southeast of San Antonio, and known for being the turkey capital of the world. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M. He was the founder and president of Ray, uh, Ray Cook Golf back in 1995. In 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the most innovative wedges with their V-Soul design. 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan brand and their, and their golf company, becoming president and CEO. He has over half a dozen golf patents and nearly 100 iron, wedge, and putter designs to his credit. You know him as the Wedge Guy. He's got a great blog, and he's been doing a lot of great articles there. His latest creation are Edison Wedges, which are set to come out very soon, and I'm thrilled to hear more and more about it as he joins me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Terry, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. It's good to be here. I want to apologize for my voice. I've got a I woke up yesterday with no voice at all, but I got enough back. I didn't want to cancel on your show, so... Hopefully your listeners can struggle through with my frog voice tonight. <laughs> I appreciate the effort, Terry. Thanks for playing hurt. So, <laughs> Terry, you've, you've, you've piqued my interest uh, over the last couple of weeks in looking more and more into your Edison uh, wedges and, and some of the, the designs and uh, you know, with the things you've put together. I know they're not coming out until sometime in the spring, but what you put out there is certainly – you know, sort of sparked my imagination. Tell everybody about what they can look forward to with your new design. Well, I've been on about a 30-year mission to figure out why golfers struggle with their wedges. I've done uh, research with tens of thousands of golfers through my work at SCORE and Reed Lockhart and Eidolon and Ben Hogan and uh, asking golfers about their wedge game and their wedge play. And, and recreational golfers and tour professionals are are further apart with wedge play than anything out there in my observation. And again, not every golfer is the same, but the vast majority based on my research tell me they hit their wedges too high. They don't get the spin they would like to get. The distance control is a constant struggle. And, you know, I look at these things, I'm going, it's in the golf club. I mean, I'm just going to be very brash and, and bold and tell you, that what we're given as golfers are wedges designed for tour players. The major brands all, you know, their 
their wedges they talk about, number one on tour, they talk about tour authentic. And when you look at a tour player short game, they have honed these skills through thousands and thousands of hours over years of their life to have these magical short games that we see every week on television. And they've done that with wedges that haven't changed much. I mean, I, I, I just encourage you, go to the bargain barrels, look at wedges that are 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old. There just is nothing like the difference that you'll see in irons or fairway woods or drivers, shoes, cleats, golf balls. Nothing in our bag bears the kind of resemblance to 30-year-old, 40-year-old technology that our wedges do. So my theory on that is, is that if I give a tour player a wedge that launches different, spins different, the impact is different around the club face, I'm going to negate all those thousands of hours of practice because he hits it a little low on the toe to make the ball do this and a little high in the face to make it do that and a little low in the heel to make it do this. Recreational golfers, we're just trying to hit it somewhere on the face and we'd like it to do close to the same thing every time. That's why we've got 460cc drivers. That's why the manufacturers are pushing perimeter weighting and fast faces on our irons so that you can just hit the ball and be satisfied. I have put every major wedge on Iron Byron for 20 years. The robot doesn't lie. I can precisely hit the golf ball on the fourth groove, a half inch toward the toe, a half inch high, a half inch toward the I can hit anywhere I want. And tour design wedges, and I used to be respectfully irreverent, but I'm a little less respectful nowadays because I watch golfers suffer. But tour design wedges have the most volatile smash factor as impact is moved around the face of any club in our bag. And you're listening to your listeners out there. How many of you all play a tour blade iron, a pure muscle back tour blade iron? Statistically, less than 2% of golfers play a club like that because they're tough to hit. But I can tell you on the robot, a tour blade nine iron is way more forgiving than any tour design wedge on the marketplace today. So. When you hit that tour wedge a little high in the face, it's not going anywhere. We all know that, right? You feel it. The right. ball contact is a little high in the face, and it comes up short. You can practice till you're blue in the face. You can take all the lessons you want, but that's built into the golf club. And every PGA Tour, I'm sorry I'm on my soapbox here, but you pulled my screen. So every <laughs> tour event that you watch on television, somewhere on that event, a tour player is going to hit a wedge shot that comes up very, very short. And the camera is going to go back and show a close-up slow motion of that impact. And the announcer is going to say something to the effect of, oh, you can see he hit it a little high in the face. And when you do that, a wedge just doesn't go as far. Do you have any argument with that? No. Or is that what you know to be true as well? No. Absolutely. So my question so is, that's why the hell should I be satisfied with that? I can build a driver I can hit anywhere on the club face. Why can't I build a wedge that I can hit anywhere on the club face and get the same distance? And that's what my mission has been for 30 years. And what we're introducing this week with Edison Wedges is the most forgiving, accurate, high-spinning wedge that has ever been built, ever. And I've got robotic data to prove it. And we're not talking 3 to 5% accurate. We're talking 65% smaller dispersion patterns. 40 to 80% more spin on full swings. 
I mean, we have radically redesigned the wedge and radically redesigned wedge performance. So that begs the question, and I, don't, I certainly don't want you to give any secrets away, but how? What's different about your wedge versus what we're going to see from the Titleist, you know, with their with their new designs and, and the high-toe stuff that we see from, uh, you know, Callaway and, and some of the others? What's different? Everything. We have, we have taken a traditional face profile at address, and we have completely rearranged the mass on the back of the golf club. The back of our golf club looks nothing like the back. And if, and if you pull the graphics off of the top five major brands of wedges, I would defy most golfers to be able to tell one from the other if I pull the graphics off and the cosmetic treatment. Because wedges are all basically the same because the tour player doesn't want radical changes in his wedges because he would have to relearn everything. So if I've got a tour staff and, and I guess my question is, and this is kind of being a heretic, if you will, but if I got 10 of my retainered staff tour professionals who are paid by me to play my golf clubs, how objective is their opinion going to be of my golf clubs? And secondly, Am I going to introduce a golf club that they all haven't seen and looked at and tested? You know, the the guys go out on, on the tour. They prove their wedges. When the tour player says, I love these, they bring it to the market, and the rest of us suffer. I mean, that's, my, that's my belief. I've watched it on the robot. I've talked to thousands of recreational golfers. And if you're listening and you get plenty of spin and you never come up short with your wedge shots, and you're just, and you throw darts and you hit it inside 12 to 15 feet every time you put a wedge in your hand, then stay with what you have. So Terry, one of the unique differences, I think, in, in a lot of your designs over the course of time, whether you go back all the way back to score and then, you know, forward is the soul of your, of your wedges, because it takes the need to understand bounce and grind out of it. Talk about how that sets up. Well, I invented a soul, and I would call it the Kaler soul. I invented this and patented it in 1990. And I went to a trip to Scotland, and the turf over there was very different than what I play. And my wedges were killing me with that super firm turf. And I went into Octoloni's golf shop off the 18th green at, at the old course at St. Andrews and was looking around his shop and I had done putter design and I'd been fiddling around with wedges and I saw he had a grinding wheel and I asked him if I could come back over with a wedge because I had an idea and I <clears throat> ground on this wedge, I don't remember the brand I had, one of the top wedges, mainstream wedges, they all alike as I said in my opinion and I ground the heck out of the bottom of this wedge and created two positive bounce angles and a very severe bounce from the leading edge back about a quarter of an inch. And then I ground off the back to make the back part of it a, a milder bounce. And it was magical the rest of my trip in Scotland. So I came back and but my the way I ground that wedge, it made the wedge look really ugly up around the hosel and everything, but I got around that. And I came back, started working and welding up wedges and grinding different. And I came up with this idea that if I have a really steep bounce on the front part of the sole and a shallow bounce on the back part of the sole. And those two angles are blended to for each range of lofts in my bag. 
that I could create a soul that would not find a lie it didn't like. And I put that soul on wedges from Merritt Golf, my first company, Reed Lockhart Golf, my second company, Eidolon Golf, my third company, Score. I put them on the Ben Hogan TK wedges. And I've always continued to refine that. I have put a variation of that soul on these wedges, and I really believe it's the best iteration I've ever had. And the way I look at it is I'm a, I'm a heretic, if you will, to the whole idea of fitting bounce. Because, again, I've researched and read the wedge fitting profiles of 60,000 golfers. And they tell me 80% of them say that they take different divots. I don't know about the other 20%. I don't believe they take the same divot every time. But they say they do. 80% of golfers say they play different turf from hole to hole, round to round, course to course. I don't know who the 20% are that play a course has the same turf everywhere because I've never seen one of those. But the idea of fitting bounce is only, in my opinion, is only real if your swing path and or the turf conditions stay the same. But what amazes me is everybody says, we're going to go to all this trouble to fit bounce, but everybody play the same shaft. And I've found that if I get the right shafts in your wedges and I get a sole that can handle any lie you throw at it, now we've really got custom fit wedges. I get your loft gapping properly. Now I've really got custom fit wedges because there's not, we're sitting here at night, right? It's eight or nine o'clock. Some of us are going to play golf tomorrow, but I'm going to go fish, but some are going to play golf tomorrow. But there's not a person listening that knows what their next lie is going to look like when they, when they have a wedge in their hand. Not one person knows what it's going to be. Is it going to be tight? Is it going to be fluffy? Is it going to be soft? Is it going to be hard? You just don't know. And you better have a soul in your wedge that will handle that lie. Because when you get there, you've got two or three wedges in your bag, and that's all you have. And if you're playing dry course conditions and it rains tonight, a tour player would go to the van and get new wedges free. We don't get to do that. We got to play with the ones that we spent five or six hundred dollars on. And they better do the job through all the courses and holes and rounds of golf we play this year. So, Terry, and that's, I believe that's we've a, created I, I, a soul that can do that. That's a that's a point that I don't think enough of us, you know, and us by us, I mean, we amateur and and weekend golfers understand that course conditions and the and the kind of turf that we're going to go play on. Like you know, my my te- my uh, previous guest Tom Patry now coming from the north down to Florida to teach for the winter. And for those those folks that are migrating south for the winter, your turf conditions are going to be very different. If say you you're migrating from a New York, uh, you know, a uh, Chicago or what have you, down to Florida, those turf conditions are very different. And then, therefore, your, correct me if I'm wrong, your wedges are going to interact with the turf very differently than what you're used to, right? Absolutely. So if you play in the north or the Midwest where you can take these beaver pelt divots because the ground is so soft, if you took a divot that big on my golf course, you'd be in the emergency room with two sprained wrists. Or if you do that in Florida, you don't, the ground is a lot firmer, but recreational golfers, you know, we make a, our driver doesn't care. We're going to put the ball up on a tee. It doesn't care where we're playing, but the rest of our clubs, particularly our wedges, you know, they need to be able to handle whatever turf we run into. 
and whatever swing path we run into. You know, I mean, if if, if you look at at golfers that have developed some short game skills, sometimes they pick the ball up a little steep and drop it down behind the club pretty steeply to hit this kind of a shot. But the very next swing, they may take it back shallower and bring it through the mall shallower to hit that kind of shot. Well, if I'm going to fit your swing path, you can't go changing it on me, right? And if I'm going to fit you for firm turf, you know, then how you play soft turf. And I really believe, and this is something medicine will support till the day is long, you need to try the wedges on your golf course, hitting the shots that you face and comparing them to the wedges you're familiar with so that you can see what launch angle is about and you see what how the ball reacts on the green, how the club reacts out of different turf, out of your bunker sand. And I would tell you, if somebody trying to sell you wedges off of a, a mat, they can't do it. If they're trying to sell you wedges off of a driving range, that's not where you're going to use your wedges. And you need to take demo wedges with the shaft similar to what you play in your irons, with the lofts that are at least close to what you're going to buy, and you need to put those on your own golf course. And, you know, Edison Golf is going to have a, a demo program that will let you take golf clubs on your own golf course. Because I don't think you can buy wedges without doing that. And you have, and I'm a big believer, I talk about the shafts and wedges a lot. The shaft is the engine of a golf club in every club. That's your connection with the club head. It's no less important in a wedge than it is in your driver. Because your wedge shaft has to do so much. It has to, let's say that you have a, a full swing gap wedge, 110 yards, 100 yards, whatever your number is. You take that swing with it and you, you pull it a little, you tug it a little bit. And now you hit it eight feet off the left edge of the green and you're going to chip with that gap wedge. So you took the exact same golf club and the last swing you put a 75 mile an hour swing on it. And the next swing you're going to put a six mile an hour swing on it. That's asking a lot of a shaft to to give you optimum performance on both those two successive shots. To that end, one of the things that we, we talk about getting fit for your clubs all the time here on the show, a lot and most of that time is spent around your your woods and your and your regular iron sets. It really doesn't talk about needing to get fit differently for your wedges, right? Because I think if I understand you correctly, is maybe the the right wedge needs a different shaft than what your iron set needs. Talk about being well, fit for your wedges. Well, I believe in the concept of a seamless transition. So if you get custom fitted for irons and you find that your performance and your strength profile and a good fitter has set you up with a KBS 280 graphite, regular flex, the last thing in the world you need is some wedges off the rack with a 130-gram stiff steel shaft because you have a massive disconnect in feel and performance between those golf clubs. And yet, somewhere in the round of golf, you and your buddy are riding in a cart maybe, and your mall's over here on this side of the fairway, and he pulls up to his, and you take your range finder and your iron set match pitching wedge and your gap wedge because it's probably an in-between those two clubs. And you've got a Gap wedge with a, again, a KBS Tour 80 graphite R-Flex, I mean, a pitching wedge set match that you've been fitted for. And you got your tour design gap wedge that you bought at the retail store. And it's got a 130 gram stiff steel shaft in it. 
So you have a massive disconnect, and you cannot. It is physically impossible to put the same swing on those two golf clubs. The shaft is 50 grams different and 20 cycles different in flex. Excuse me, but you, you can't put the same swing on. It's physically impossible. You know, it's like, you know, getting out of your pickup and into your sports car, and you got an adjustment to make or vice versa. So I'm a big believer in wedge fitting that if you've been fitted for your irons, whatever that shaft is, you want shafts in your wedges that are compatible, that are seamless. Doesn't have to exactly be the same brand, maybe. I believe wedge shafts have to have a little different characteristics than short iron shafts because we're using them at so many different club head speeds. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of parallel tip shafts. I developed a, a secret sauce tipping procedure years ago that, that we can make that shaft a little firmer at the bottom and a little softer up in the midsection. It doesn't balloon the golf ball. It gives you movement when you're at your slow club head speeds. That shaft has to be moving a little bit for you to have optimum feel. And, and I would tell you something else about shafts. I believe the vast majority of, of recreational players, you know, five to eight, 12, 20 handicappers, have gone to lighter shafts and softer flexes, and you need to do that in your wedges too. Because if you think that a tour professional is here and he's hitting all these little shots around the green with his 130-gram steel stiff shaft, this guy's also a gym rat. He has got phenomenal forearm strength that you don't have, I don't have, none of your listeners have. So he can do things with that 130-gram shafted wedge that you need an 80 or 90 gram shafted wedge so that you can have a more balanced weight of the golf club to your forearm strength profile. I don't ever hear anybody talk that, but I believe it's real. Now that you've got us all sort of, you piqued our interest in, in what you're doing with Edison Golf and, and what your wedges are going to be like and, and the opportunity to get a demo wedge and all of those sorts of things. When is all of that going to become available and how can we stay up to date to make sure we know when it's available? Well, because you and I have had this nice relationship and you've been so nice to have me on your show, actually, I li- we've had the site up for a few weeks with password protection. We've invited some friends to go in. We created a thing called the Edison 500 Club, and we're in production with 500 sets, three wedge sets right now that will be sold to the first 500 people that, that want them. Um, and this, we've, we've made them available to our friends and family. And I lifted the password a few hours ago. The press release on Edison Golf is not going out until tomorrow evening or Thursday morning first thing. If anybody's listening to your podcast, they got to jump on these because I think they're going to go very fast. And the Edison 500 club, what we're doing, these, these sets will all be marked one in 500. Um, they will come with a little package of Edison swag, a cap, a towel, a ball mark repair tool. The 500 people who buy these, we want you to help us build this company. We don't have the money to go up against the big guys. I just got a better product than they do for recreational golfers. And that's a bold statement. But when you get to the website, you're going to see, I'll put robotic data right on the website. I'll show you how much better these are. Nobody else does that. Nobody else publishes data. I'm showing you the data. I've got a 65% smaller dispersion pattern, up to double the spin on full swings, two to four degree lower launch angle. Um, we've got a more consistent smash factor. The sole loves every light can find. 
And we're a full custom company. We're not going to build any stock wedges. There won't be any retail stores. You'll buy direct from us. As we get into regular production in, in late March, when we have two more production tools to build, and um, and we'll be building a green grass network, because I believe golf pros should help sell wedges. I think they should help you with your wedges. And most golfers could take two to eight strokes off their score if they would get the right wedges in their bag and engage their golf professional and spend the time to learn how to be better from whatever wedge range is, whether you hit pitching wedge 130 or 110, you need to get better in wedge range and your scores will reflect it and they'll reflect it very quickly. So how can we, how can we rush and get out there and be, be uh, a part of the first 500? So it's edisonwedges.com. Um, the site is up and open. You can read all about what we've done, who we are, who I am, my history. Uh, what the technology story is behind these golf clubs. But we're doing, I mean, we've got the sole design that's the best ever. We've got this completely re, re, reinvented distribution of mass that makes the golf ball just do remarkable things. We've got tremendous offering of shafts. We've got, we're, we've also created one of the big stories in wedges is that they wear out too fast. And we work with our foundry to create what we call durable chrome, which is twice as thick as everybody else's chrome. It's going to help these cases last longer. So everything we can do to help golfers be better wedge players. Uh, one other thing about the Edison 500 Club, when you get one of these sets and you're you're one of our first 500 people, um, we're going to ask you to help us spread the word. We're going to provide you with with cards with your unique number on them. You can refer people to the site. You can earn points for cash rewards, discounts, trips. We haven't figured out what we want to reward the people. I mean, I've always benefited by word of mouth because I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I have so many people that tell me I make the best wedges they've ever had. And, and I know we do. I mean, I've seen it on the robot data. I know they're better. And, you know, everything when we go in the marketplace, if somebody buys one of these sets of clubs, and you don't like them, box them right back up and send them back to us. When we go into the market this spring, we're going to have a very simple performance guarantee. If you buy Edison wedges and you play them and you don't agree they're the best you've ever had, you send them back and we'll buy you any other wedges in the market you want. Wow. That's bold. I mean, I just know how good they are. <laughs> I mean, I've, 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 I've been working on this. I thought I was going to retire when I left Hogan Company at the, in late 2016, and I thought I was going to retire. And after I got through fishing and catching back up with my golf and shooting some birds and and doing a remodeling project, I realized I wasn't done yet with wedges. There's still more that I could do. And I've been prototyping and testing this golf club now for a little over two years. So um, I know what we have here. Well, Terry, I'm excited to to, to – take a look at the wedges and, and hear more about it and stay up to date with, you know, all the things going on with the 500 club and, and when they, uh, with the press release comes out and everything you're doing, I can't, I don't know that I've been this excited about a wedge set maybe. And, and, you know, all the time I've been playing golf, I'm 54 years old, started playing when I was 12. So do the math. It's been, you know, 40 ish years. And, um, you've really got me excited about what these wedges might be able to do for my golf game. And, and certainly well, for our I, listeners. So, thank you'll you. You'll be that. excited when you hit them. I mean, it, it they will elicit a wow. 
I mean, you hit it high in the face, you feel it, but it goes the same distance as a good one. And and that's what I've been after when my wedge designs, I started thickening the top of the golf club. That's a very interesting little tidbit for you. You know, everybody in wedges now is thickening the top of the golf club a little bit. I None of them yet have thickened the top of the golf club to the level that I did with the Reed Lockhart wedges in 1995. They're still not there. And I think I did even more with Eidolon in the early 2000s. I went to progressive weighting in 2011 with SCORE. The, the, the leading brand of wedges introduced progressive weighting in 2016, five years later. And, you know, I'm just telling you, I, designing wedges for recreational players is a totally different challenge than designing wedges for tour players. And the tour players have some very, very talented people working with them. I mean, I, I think Bob Bokey and Roger Cleveland, two of them, I mean, they're, they're just amazing. They do their thing with tour players, and I do mine with 18 handicappers and 12 handicappers, and we're different. I, my favorite thing is to have a 10 or 12 handicapper telling me he's never hit his wedges better. That is the biggest reward for what, I, what I've been doing my whole life. It just, it, it just makes me swell with pride. Well, you're doing great stuff, Terry. You've done it all throughout your career, and I'm sure you've done it again here with the Edison Wedge. So I look forward to playing them and seeing, uh, seeing how they perform. I'm sure it's going to be outstanding. Again, let everybody Chris, know Chris, and, how they can stay up to date we'll, with it. It's edisonwedges.com. Go in, have fun, read what we're about. And um, if you'd like to be part of this from the ground floor, join the Edison 500 Club and be one of our 500 ambassadors. Terry, thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time and sharing the story. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon and staying up to date with uh, with what's going on at Edison Wedge. Again, very excited to see him. Thanks again, Chris. Sorry for my voice being a little cracky today, but we got through it without me dying, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Terry, take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. All right. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays for all of you and all of your listeners. Thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. That's the great Terry Kaler, folks. EdisonWedges.com is the name of the site. And I tell you what, I'm genuinely excited to see. I mean, if you can get 31 feet closer on average based on the data and, you know, you get the same distance, whether you, you hit it on, you know, whatever groove it might have come off or where you get it maybe a little high in the face and it still gets you close to the pin. I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that, right? I mean, we've we've been excited about what happens with drivers and all the different technologies and that sort of thing. We've been excited about what happens with, you know, some of the, the new iron sets that we have and the putter designs. The wedges have sort of not been as, you know, on the front table as they probably should have. To Terry's point, haven't changed a whole lot over the years. And now he's going to come out with something that's going to get us much closer to the pin. That's That's what we're all looking for, right? What do we got to lose? Become one of the 500. Check it out online. Terry's been a great friend over the years and uh, very forthcoming and very open and transparent. And and everything he's told me so far has led me to believe that these are going to be a great wedge set. And I'm looking forward to getting them. I look forward to be part of the 500. You know I'm going to be in there. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. want to send out my sincere thanks tonight to Bill Bergen, Gail Graham, Tom Patry, and Terry Kaler for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the great things that we're doing and what our guest schedule looks like. You can also stream us. Download the Podbean app. You can take us with you everywhere you go. We're also on launchpaddm.com. 
Spotify, iHeart, Audio Boom, Player.fm. We're all over the net. If you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on it. But uh, we can't thank our friends over at Podbean enough. They have been a, a huge supporter of ours and uh, featured us several times on their mobile app. And we can't thank them enough for that. And if you love podcasts, folks, across all genres, download that Podbean app. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight and continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friend. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all